You've tuned in to Badlaaf for Better, a podcast by B Medical Systems, saving lives through reliable and innovative technology, hosted by Jaisal Doshi. Hello and welcome to our newest episode of Badlaaf for Better. Badlaaf for Better is our humble attempt to implement changes in India's healthcare system through small changes and small conversations that can have a ripple effect. Today it I'm extremely excited to introduce our speaker. Excited because of the depth of experience and variety that he brings and it's almost impossible to actually talk about just one topic. So to be honest listeners I'm extremely curious about this episode because I have no idea how is it going to go. So without much further ado I'd like to introduce Dr. Rajendra Pratap Gupta. Dr. Rajendra Pratap Gupta brings with him more than 2 decades of multi-varied experience starting from fortune 20 and fortune 500 companies he was the advisor to the health minister of india and drafted india's national health policy in 2017 from there on he drafted india's national education policy in 2020 as if that was not enough he's a serial entrepreneur has started many different companies organizations not for profits across multiple areas he's named as one of the 25 living legends of healthcare in india as if even that much was not enough he is the author of five books truly honored to have you here thank you so much for being here with us today thanks jaisal for having me here so the first question that i have for you and it's a fairly obvious question when you look at your career it's fascinating it's both across public as well as private sectors so can you tell us a little bit more about your journey in health especially and how did you make the transition from being an industry leader to advising the health minister of the country so jaisal my uh, journey has been in healthcare by default not by design but as a policy maker by design and not by default that's how i put it so in my education you know which is my school and college days i was not a good student i was a very good student i was a university topper and uh, around 95 i lost my sister my elder sister during exams i was in second year of my graduation and 97 i lost my mother to cancer so those were the defining times for me and for also it shaped my future So when I had to take the responsibility of the family I applied in 71 companies so I got selected in a healthcare company and I became the first employee of IMS in India which is Ecubia now and then there was no looking back in 6 year I was vice president of a multinational retail health organization probably at the 9th year as CEO and 10th year as a chairman wow so I looked at my career graph and I said what do I do after being a chairman So the faster I grew the faster I decided to step aside and move to what I wanted to do very early on the things that I had passed through as a person losing my family members to health conditions and passing through a very tough time I wanted to change the system and uh, of course I was always glued to the fact that we should address the issue of chronic poverty in the country and that has been my childhood dream since probably I was 5 or 7 So policy making is something that I was very keen on it was a seed planted in me very early on how I don't know and my healthcare journey took me to across the world I got my first big break in drafting the BJP's election manifesto in 2009 and the party lost 
so i thought the game was over for me as a policy maker but 2013 i was asked again to draft the manifesto of bjp and 14 we came with absolute majority and our honorable shri narayan bhai modi became the prime minister and well after i did that i went back to bombay thinking i'll continue with my roles my policy work is done but then i was asked to advise the health ministers from 16 to 18 i worked with our union minister of health and i drafted the health policy also and later i got another important opportunity to draft the education policy which i did and then for building another construction worker so I was very lucky to write policies for sectors through the manifesto for all sectors and then health education and employment so i think it has been a phenomenal journey for me from being a very common man i would say from the lower middle class family to being an activist in a sense i wanted to change the system to being a policy maker so god has been very kind and the friends have been greatly supportive of my endeavors at a very early age when you were struck with personal tragedy you actually used that to channelize it and become a source of strength and i think that's something which is so rare today and and i know we are sort of going a bit off topic but i'd like to spend a couple of minutes just on that because it's really so important and relevant in today's world when you hear about mental health and you hear about youngsters especially suffering more and more and sort of unfortunately uh, giving up at the first instance of failure and here you were uh, back then when you had two major tragic incidences in your life and yet you bounced back to not apply at one company or two companies but 71 companies so uh, tell us a little bit about that going back so many years what what drove you at that point of time and what enabled you to have such clarity of mind so in my second year when my when i lost my sister a day before my zoology second paper so family advised don't give the exam i said no her death shouldn't be an excuse you know we should not use those excuses so tragedies or you know the setbacks are not an excuse they are moments of truth they are called to action and that is what it meant to me when my mother died i thought okay at almost 25 i became an orphan but then also became responsible i thought then i was now the custodian of the family and you had no resources so i think i am used to taking challenges and when there's no one other there walk alone so that has helped me shape things without agenda even writing policies i was very independent in trying to not push forth any agendas but look at the need gaps and address them so i think when i reflect back on those strategy or tragedies or my setbacks i think they were the most defining moments that gave me the lessons of life what are values and why you should stick to them and you never fail if you decide and define your values and you abide by them so i think in a sense uh, at that moment it appeared to be massive setbacks at one point even the doctor advised me tablets for depression which i never took but i think uh, i was strong enough to pass through because as there were tragedies that came without any notice so were the good times that's uh, it's truly motivating that tragedies are a moment of truth and a call for action i think that's a fantastic takeaway for our audience you drafted india's national health policy in 2017 can you explain what does that mean to somebody who has absolutely no understanding of what a na- national policy is so i'll also go back 
a bit before 13. So Mr. Keshav Desiraju was the health secretary when I looked. You know, I've been interested in health, so I always looked at all the five-year plans and everything that was going on. So when I looked at the 12th five-year plan, I was surprised that the monies that we were committing in the 12th five-year plan far exceeded the total monies we had spent in the previous five-year, 11 five-year plans. So I went to him and I said, Mr. Desiraju, do you not think that we should start drafting a national health policy because of the big commitment we have made in the 12th five-year plan? And he, as honest as he was always, he said, Rajan. I don't think anyone in the ministry will do that heavy lifting. Writing a health policy is heavy lifting. So the opportunity for me came in 2013 when I was drafting the national election manifesto of BJP. So when I came to the health section, the first point I wrote was, "We'll need to draft a national health policy." So sorry to interrupt you there, but does it be, did did I understand correctly that there was no national health policy before this one came in? So we had we had 1983, we had 2002. but then you know the scenarios have changed uh, vastly and uh, i think uh, it is it was time that in light of the developments both from the economic standpoint from the technology standpoint from the population standpoint and even the global developments in science that we should have drafted a policy because policy sets a direction you know irrespective of the regime that the bureaucracy has a clear direction as to what to do because policies typically in india have come after a gap of 15 to 20 years same i did for education when i drafted the manifesto i said how can you secure the future of a nation without giving it a policy for health and education these two are very important determinants of development so yes and finally i ended up getting to draft that so that was the precursor of putting the health policy in the manifesto and i must credit this prime minister that manifestos from 2014 are not documents they are deliverables he has made a huge difference to the fact that every single line i wrote and i'm so happy that everything has been implemented so even in national health policy the line that i wrote in the manifesto increasing access improving quality lowering the cost was yeah. finally put in the policy as well fantastic but in many ways this is also a bit of a precursor to the niti aayog itself that's true it was written that the uh, previous planning commission in fact when i was drafting the manifesto i had posted on my facebook that time to rethink the planning commission because that had outlived its purpose you've tuned in to the fourth episode of badlav for better an indian healthcare story can you tell us a little maybe the national health policy that you drafted what was one or one or two of the biggest achievements for you in terms of outcomes and deliverables So I think I cannot single out one or two but let me give you a few important points which will have long lasting impact on India's healthcare system and probably a lot of learnings for the global healthcare system. So one is that if you look at the page 4, 5 and 6 there are quantifiable goals. Mm-hmm. I don't think ever health policies have attempted quantifying the goals. Second thing we have very clearly articulated we'll move to preemptive healthcare which is a word which was never used. so which is preempting the occurrence of diseases starting with school end so focusing on the children's health and a very important point that i think people will have to take note of which will be a defining thing for the outcome based care is mandatory disclosure of treatment and success rate across facilities so this is the first policy that goes beyond public sector and says every single recommendations you see has been applied to both public and private sector So there are multiple things out there, which is the first time that I see, including the digital health ecosystem. I was very careful to articulate what exactly we needed to do, 
and while look at today's india's situation in terms of digital health when we look at india's pmjy the health you know insurance program the world's largest program and when i look at what we did in terms of doubling the number of seats unimaginable you know earlier we used to have 150 seats increase we were very happy about it increase 50000 seats unimaginable you know one of the things that was done in the policy that self sufficiency at the district level so in terms of medical colleges in terms of nurses and allied health professional colleges so there are so many things in the health policy and when you see them getting implemented i think it's not just changing the healthcare of this country but also giving an example to the people across the world with whatever budgets you have you can still transform him i think we have done unimaginably good through the policy and even you know what we have done in terms of achieving those numbers that are there today that's very interesting because a lot of the things that you just mentioned are things we see happening on the ground today you know you spoke about district level capacity you spoke about increase of seats so i are you saying that this was all outlined in the national health policy in 2017 and we are now seeing a large chunk of it being implemented that's true i think uh, not for the sake of taking credit but when i was tasked to review and draft it and finalize my goal was that can we look at all the issues and put the priorities and not leave anything so whether it was the orphan drugs whether it was secondary prevention which you would never find in the previous policies because i think in this country with huge populations which is above 40 we also need to look at secondary prevention so we have looked at this is very interesting that we have always looked at ratio of number of beds to population and all that from the distance and population standpoint the first time we are talking of a golden hour rule so we are saying that the bed should be available from a golden hour rule so we have addressed the issue of the distribution so i think uh, it will take years because it calls for huge investments but in terms of giving a direction to india's healthcare system if you read that policy i think we are all set for the next 50 years we won't have to probably look at any other document so that's the second recommendation or takeaway i would give to our listeners which is if you are really interested in public health and want to know not just public but india's health systems and where we are going then the national health policy of 2017 is a bible for you so i would strongly encourage each and every one of you to read through that in a lot of detail coming back to what you mentioned you mentioned something very interesting preemptive healthcare and in that context i recently read read a book called outlive which i again would strongly recommend for our listeners to read it talks about the difference between medicine 2.0 and medicine 3.0 with medicine 2.0 being focused really on solving the immediate problem of the patient so if a patient comes in with a let's say a heart attack you need to solve that there and there but medicine 3.0 goes back to say look this patient could have a heart attack 40 years from now but what could we do 40 years earlier to actually try and prevent that from happening So I think it's it's uh, it's fascinating to see that at the highest level of leadership we are actually thinking along similar lines for the country and not just for individuals. That's true. I think uh, the preemptive care model is all about that preempt the occurrence of diseases and not just prevent them. Absolutely. Another very interesting topic you mentioned digital health. Can you explain to to the layman what what is digital health? So when you use technology for delivering healthcare which is just making a whatsapp call or you know making a video conference for delivering healthcare or seeking advice 
or information. So any use of technology for health is digital health. And that's the simplest term that I can, you know, attribute to digital health. Wow, that's that's a very easy way for a common person to understand. Thank you so much for that, Rajendra. And so when you think about what has happened in digital health and also what's likely to happen in the coming uh, weeks, months and years, because we all here today, we are all using technology in some form or fashion. Uh, it's sometimes, uh, you know, even making appointments for pathology tests or even talking to your doctors. It is happening, uh, I would say, at a very unorganized level already. But but I'm sure that there is much more to it and, and a much more organized way of looking at it. Yeah. So if you look at digital health, the way it's impacting, I think every doctor, every provider, every patient is going to get impacted. And uh, I would put like this that, you know, the primary care will go beyond doctors, pharmaceutical industry will go beyond pills, and hospitals will go beyond beds. And digital transformation is all that's happening and that's going to make this possible. So if you're not in digital health, you're not in health. That's the line I always say. So I think uh, none of us can get disconnected from digital health if you are into health. And even in terms of logistics or R&D, today everything is tech-enabled and tech-driven at least from the organization that I run, I'll be able to give every family a family physician. Wow. And and three years is not futuristic. Absolutely not. So uh, are you saying in th three years from now, every family in India will have a family physician? Yes, probably beyond that too. I mean, I think uh, there's a clarification and there is a capability of giving every family a family physician. Wow. And regardless of where they are or what they earn. Which language, which place they are, what ailment they have, we should be able to do it. I don't see as a challenge. We are actually working on that. But that, that can be a real game changer because then when you think about preemptive healthcare, it can become a reality soon, but not just for a small percentage of the population, but for all of India. That's true. That's the way it should be. Wow. That, I mean, just to think about that future is mind-boggling, to be honest. And just imagine what we're going to do when we're doing it. We are equally excited. And and do you think the government is uh, playing the role of an enabler here? I think government always is a catalyst. Just look at, you know, the numbers. I mean, you know, a few years back, when I used to serve on international committees or speak on international forums, uh, our heads were down. You know, because the numbers didn't show where we are, you know, and what we could do. We were technology capital of the world, giving the best brains. Back home, the benefits were not flowing down. Now look at today, touching almost 100 million consultations on e-Sanjeevani, almost 350 million ABHA, the health account numbers, and more than 2 billion vaccinations through COVID. And uh, we are today top in the world. I think the world has to learn from India. In digital health, we are the world leaders. So I think government has shown the way forward. And now I think all of us have to galvanize around the vision and implement it. So I think government has done more than it should have done. And National Health Authority as an institution has been able to lead this and implement the vision. These are truly staggering numbers. And can you give us a sense of how quickly was this done? We, we set up all this in 2018. During the pandemic. That's right. And, you know, I would say that, yes, the groundwork was done, you know, drafting the policy, you know, I was at that time working on the act and the guidelines. Uh, we were ready, but the implementation was absolutely flawless. 
and i think we have shown the world that you can be paperless infrastructure is not an issue uh the political will is required which the prime minister has shown the implementation team has to be put in place and as i always said if you institutionalize things get delivered and that's was one of the goals of the policy if you look at any of my recommendation whether agriculture education or health or any sector i have always looked at institutions because as a bureaucrat i may like something i may not dislike so program get die but a institution exist in perpetuity any bureaucrats who stepped into national health authority will actually deliver the vision that it is set out for so i think i believe in institutions which deliver and uh, this government has done a wonderful work of creating institutions that will outlast any tenure any government any bureaucracy and that's truly i i would imagine the prime minister's lasting legacy not just for india but for the world that's true there's a lot of lessons to learn from him aap sun rahe hain badlav for better a podcast by b medical systems saving lives through reliable and innovative technology jaisal doshi dwara hosted today you know we are talking about ai and things like chat gpt and there is a big worry that this will take away jobs and put a lot of people out of jobs when i look at digital health the way you articulated it would i be right in saying doctors nurses healthcare providers should be similarly worried so i say this that the doctors and healthcare professionals who use digital health will replace those who don't that's how i see it so there's some advice here for healthcare providers as well which is you need to get digitally savvy and you need to embrace digital technologies yes and i think i see that uh, receptivity among the providers so in the digital health academy launched a postgraduate course with iim raipur and 85% people who have taken are doctors with an average experience of 15 years wow. and they're self funding it so i think it is time that people like them grow in numbers they breed grows nurses are there pharmacists are there physiotherapists are there and now we are launching course for frontline health workers we are launching for small healthcare organizations because i think they need to understand the domain of digitalization how it you know drives your healthcare delivery and even makes it profitable but i i think the proof as you said is the fact that 85% of them were self funded self funded that's true so it really goes to show that you know the student when a student self funds something and here in this case it's a doctor who's got decades of experience and is still self funding to learn something new clearly the doctors are seeing a lot of value in this but just staying on this topic of disruption what else is uh, out there what else do you think is going to be disruptive uh, especially when you talk about healthcare and patients and and you, you mentioned doctors so a couple of things jaisal you know when i quit the government you know having written policies the other thing was that people always joke with me rajin great policies but the ground impact yes the ground impact is visible the government is doing phenomenal stuff but you know we could as private do much more and when i set up the various arms of health parliament digital health academy and patients union our motive is purpose if profit comes is fantastic and i think when you do good work profit comes so as a structure we are for profit but what we do is societal impact so we set up patients union for the first time we are having patients to be bought in the public discourse on health for the first time we will have patients talking of policies next year we will start healthcare ratings so how do you rate a hospital service provider how do you rate a doctor people do pharmacovigilance from the patient perspective unfiltered views 
directly to the regulator. Adverse drug reactions. And I think we're going to flip the supplier-driven model. Today what happens is you get what they want to give. Correct. We want to give them what they need. So patients talking to themselves. So right now is an app on Android. June will bring it on iOS. And uh, the largest community of patients in the country who will decide how they want healthcare and how it should be. So I think we are bringing patients as stakeholders for whom the entire healthcare works, but they were never organized. So for the first time, we organized them. And I think that itself be the biggest disruption over the next, I would say, two, three years as patients. And as we said, one of the other things that we're doing in the next three years, that every family should have a family physician. We will make sure that happens. And uh, it is not going to be expensive at all. That That's another thing that we are doing. And there are more disruptions that will happen in terms of uh, how do you deliver care? Why can't we have activity-based activity, activity -based costing? You know, why should be a translucent one? I mean, today you don't know why a cardiac surgery costs two and a half lakh, three lakhs. Someone I know paid 50 lakhs for a heart surgery. It should be activity-based costing. You cannot charge what you want. This is healthcare. It is not like any other industry. You know, you cannot profit here. You should profit, but not profit here. I think when patients come together, this will be not patient-centric, but patient-driven healthcare. My vision is to go beyond patient-centricity. We want it to be patient-driven healthcare. So that's going to be a big disruption in as much as it appears to be too basic, but you cannot visualize or imagine the power of patients driving the discourse on health and finally driving the policies, programs, and even products and services out there designed for health. I, I find it amazing because uh, you talk to anybody who's had an experience with a healthcare, a serious experience with a healthcare provider or one of their family members, and the two most common complaints you hear them and lamenting about, A, that they have no idea why they were charged so much, and B, that they had absolutely no say in the choice of the doctor. You know, they just said it was an emergency. We There was this doctor and that's it. And of course, those are perhaps an emergency will still have some level of uh, discretion on the part of the healthcare provider. But I, I find it really fascinating because even the word patient union, I think it can be, when I when you first said it, the first connotation I had was a negative one. Because unions are usually associated with uh, negative uh, repercussions. But the way you've outlined it, the way you've articulated it, it's really, as you said, you know, it's focused on the patient. It's focused to ensure that healthcare becomes something that a patient is not just assuming uh, or... or Let's say a patient doesn't just say, yes, I'll take whatever I get. But instead of that saying, look, this is a service that I'm paying for. And so I should really understand what's being provided to me and why is it being provided? And why do I have to pay so and so much? Yeah, I think no one question, because if you look at the entire industry, doctors are organized. A pharmaceutical industry has OPPI, IPA. Uh, medical devices have IMED, MTI. Uh, software companies have NASCOM. But we all work for patient veracity. So the International Patients Union was founded exactly for that. And the way we launched it also, we got all these representatives like AHPI and all, and we said, hey, there's a gap of patients. We are today launching Patients Union. So the International Patients Union app is going to be bringing patients at the forefront of delivery of healthcare. So I think it is going to be disruptive in as much as it's a basic idea. We should have got patients much early on. And this is an idea I had initiated in 2013 but then I joined the government it took me a few years but finally we are out there and we hope to see it we're very excited about it I think this is something that I believe 
will be transformative for healthcare and uh, anyone who is saying that he or she is patient centric as a provider for them patient union should be indispensable absolutely and is the app called international patients union it's available on android uh, and uh, i would recommend as many of people hearing to download that look at the discussions help other patients who are in need provide right information because what we require is right guidance patient most of the time can handle most of the things talking to themselves among other patients of the same medical condition and for rest we can help them and it's truly uh, having just recently gone through a family incident where one of my closest family members had to undergo a pretty serious surgery i was uh, appalled because i come from this industry and i was appalled that uh, you know we were purchasing a drug which was worth a few lakhs highly temperature sensitive and was transported in a completely useless thermocol box with absolutely zero cooling and insulation and coming from my the industry and the background that i have i knew already that this drug was not going to be effective and i think something like this with the international patients union i do hope that uh, you know patients highlight not just the individual healthcare provider but also all of the other supporting infrastructure but every all the facilities that enable truly a world class experience for the patient so just today morning only i was talking to my team at international patients union i said look there are basic things they don't know many people will blame the doctor for uh, you know the treatment not being effective but they will forget that they stored the medicine at a higher temperature because these are chemical compounds they disintegrate to become ineffective so there is a certain temperature which you need to keep them and people don't know they're not aware and they end up blaming the doctor where he is not at fault at all or she is not at fault so i think these are the awareness we are creating through patients union we're trying to make them aware that look medications have to be stored at a particular temperature insulin has to be stored at a particular temperature so if you're keeping them outside it's not going to act or it's going to be you know less efficacious so these are the awareness that we will build through patients union i think we have a long way to go absolutely but i i do hope that you know with given your uh, stellar history and experience i i not only hope but i'm confident that this will create yet another revolution in india's healthcare system i can go on forever with you rajendra but uh, time uh, i do value your time so the last question from me fairly open ended for all of our young budding uh, enthusiasts who are looking to get into health what would your advice be to them so just most of the people if you ask would say that they wanted to become a doctor they couldn't become being in healthcare is such a fulfilling experience i would say if you got into healthcare industry and if you're not a doctor if you're a doctor fantastic you're anywhere next to god but being in the healthcare industry you can impact and touch so many lives is one of the best industries to be in if you are in just make sure that remember it's not a job it's a passion it's a passion to serve it's a passion to save and it is a job if you believe it it's a job with a purpose so i think once you are into it try to serve as many people as possible not everyone gets into healthcare you're a lucky one go in the trenches work in the field even if you made a small change if you impacted one life you made them believe in god you made them thank god and that's the biggest thing you can achieve that's uh, truly magical you know when because as you said even if you save one life you remember that for life and the impact that you can have as a healthcare provider as a doctor a nurse 
or even just working as in a healthcare facility and saving millions of lives over your lifetime it's it's truly fascinating and very very rewarding at a at a very deep level it's not superficial as you said it's not a job the only advice i would give you is uh, get digital because that's the future as uh, rajendra very eloquently put it that brings us uh, end of yet another episode of badlaf for better thank you so much uh, rajendra it's been a true pleasure for us for all of us listening to you and to all your extremely interesting significant but also life changing experiences throughout your life thank you thank you so for having me thank you thank you you were listening to badla for better an indian healthcare story a podcast by b medical systems saving lives through reliable and innovative technology hosted by jaisal doshi